Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. I'm Eric Chase. We are powered by GEMS. Our latest guest follows on the heels of a great conversation we had about moral injury with uh, Dr. Nakashima Brock from the Shea Center for Moral Injury. Um, I know that my guest had a recent conversation with them, probably do some collaborations, but the work that each are doing are to benefit human beings. Uh, fire and EMS and dispatchers. Um, and then uh, without further ado, I have a fantastic guest. I'm honored to have him on. And his name is Jeff Dill. He is the founder and CEO as well as instructor for the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Um, we are seeing some alarming numbers, Jeff. Uh, you've done a recent white papers. We're going to talk about moral injury, uh, a lot of the training and things that you do. But what's really neat about you uh, is, Jeff, you are so passionate about what we're getting ready to talk about that you uh, hold a master's degree. You're an NBCC licensed counselor. You're also a retired fire captain from Palatine Rural Fire Protection District in Iverness, uh, Illinois. So you walk the walk, you talk the talk, you were part of this organization, uh, I'm, I, I believe, founding it, and now you're currently putting your boots on the ground uh, and helping the men and women at the uh, Las Vegas Fire and Rescue uh, as their behavioral health administrator. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jeff Dill, founder, CEO and instructor, uh, counselor, passionate about lives and people. Jeff Dill, welcome. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if I can live up to this interview after that uh, <laughs> astounding. <laughs> so, but uh, no, I appreciate it, Eric. Uh, it, it's great to be here. And yeah, it's uh, yes, Sin City. Uh, it's uh, not the place that I thought my wife and I would retire to, uh, but you know, you get put on a path in life, and you just follow it along. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in Maslow's pyramid. Uh, you know, take uh, that self actualization, take what you know, and pass on to others. And I've been I've been truly blessed uh, to uh, work with our, our brothers and sisters all across America and Canada in regard to behavioral health, suicide uh, awareness prevention. So this is. Uh, this is the journey I'm on, and uh, I, I appreciate you having me on today. Well, I, I know that for the people that need to hear this, and, and these are going to go out uh, across so many different networks, uh, we're going to delve into uh, a lot of different things. And, and first and foremost is that our brothers and sisters are not alone. And, and yet, I think we feel or felt, and I'm not sure what your, your mental health, emotional, spiritual walk was uh, over the course of your life, which turned into your why, but... I, I have had some seriously dark days over the course of, you know, 30 years in public safety. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about moral injury and, and you, you're very well versed in moral injury and post-traumatic stress. But to even break that down, it just some days suck. And the impulsivity that men and women that work in, in the fire, EMS, dispatch industry, public safety in general, um, we have a tendency to be very impulsive. And... For those that haven't had a plan or haven't thought about suicidality, uh, may be very depressed, may be very anxious, may have some stark injuries, you know, whether they be moral or post-traumatic stress or, or, you know, trauma injuries. How often are you seeing that these men and women are just, it's, it's just like a flip of a switch reaction where they truly, if they would have had some help or heard you have a conversation or their agency would have brought you in and, and, and the instructors maybe there would have been a different path. Well, you know, that's, 
That's it's a really difficult question to answer, you know, because each individual is different and what their tolerance levels are on, on how they handle things. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for our conversation, that when you sign up for, you know, fire EMS, being a dispatcher, uh, there are certain expectations, especially in the fire and EMS, that hey, you're, you're putting your life on the line. And, and you know, we, we think about the uh, the young gentleman who lost his life in Buffalo yesterday, the Buffalo Fire Department. You know, there are certain expectations that th this is very risky, uh, possibility of injury or, or death as a fire service uh, EMS worker. But we were never told about the seriousness of the behavioral health aspect. And that so many of our brothers and sisters, and you know, through dispatch, EMS, and fire, struggle to the point where they do uh, contemplate and even uh, complete suicide. And, and, that, and that's what's scary is, you know, that's why we started really talking about this in 2010, is that this these are real issues that we are facing. And you talk about it, you know, on a daily basis. That's why we kind of preach that internal size up that we need to ask ourselves every morning, why am I feeling this way? Or why am I acting this way? And, and the best thing that we can do is listen to others because they see us better than we will ever see ourselves. And, and you talk about that, that snap decision. What I, It's what I call cognitive disconnect. Uh, at that moment, whatever emotion they're experiencing, reality goes right out the window and they base their decisions on those emotions, whether it's anger, jealousy, guilt, uh, helplessness, uh, just some sort of pain. And that's that's difficult to control because one moment they could be fine. And I've heard it so many times. We have FBHA, which is uh, I'm the only one who's seen the data and validated the data. You know, I have validated 1,840 of these losses. And I've personally spoken to about 1,790 chief officers or family members. And I can't tell you the amount of times they said, boy, they, they, they seem perfectly fine, you know, the night before or hours before, but then something happens. And, and then that cognitive disconnect comes in, and which means that they were probably dealing with issues for a very long time. And, and so it's, it's difficult to try to define who that person is, is that struggling at that moment. So you know we have to be accountable for our own actions just like we are for our trainings we're accountable to learn things as medics dispatchers firefighters well we not we also need to be accountable for our own behavioral health actions and yes we we do need departments to help create behavioral health programs and you know fbha started doing that last year and we've been very successful in including an air force base uh, that we've come in and helped for, to complete a behavioral health program, which is 12 points, which means you start in the academies and you go all the way through to help prepare for retirement. And, and these are the things that we need to face. And understand that when my wife and I, Karen, we founded FBHA in 2010, Eric, we took a lot of hits. Uh, you know, a lot of people saying, uh, you know, that, PTSD, that's a military issue, and, and suicides, you're making up the numbers. And yet here we are today, just you know, 13 years later, we, we still have a long ways to go. And there's a lot of coverage still need to be uh, taken uh, seriously in the behavioral health realm. And that's why, you know, we're always trying to change and look at different things. And, and that's why we came out with our uh, moral injury white paper, because I, I'm a firm believer that 
moral injury plays just as large, if not larger role than PTS for our members. So it's a, it's ever dynamic, it's ever changing. And so all departments need to be uh, on top of these situations. Um, you, you just unpacked so many different things that, that Jeff truly has given me a lot of feelings. And if, if it be one uh, very important, and you mentioned it from the beginning, this is one of the workshops that you guys do is the internal size up. And, and that resonates and that speaks to those in the fire service. Uh, EMS understands that that works collaboratively with fire. And, and certainly we know dispatchers as they're trying to oversee everything and, and the resources that are going. Um, that introspective look that is so hard for so many of us to do because we know what's behind that next turn emotionally um, without knowing that that cognitive disconnect is going to be that maybe snap decision of finality or suicidality. Um, right. I, as I reflect on my own behavior in conversations with my wife, even in the last two weeks, there are times still, Jeff, and, and I'm uh, – I've got a pretty good finger on the pulse of my behavior and my emotions and my spirituality. Uh, and yet there are times that something I'll say or do, I, and you talk about cognitive disconnect, have no idea what I just said to the point where she is truly livid with me because right. of a, of a phrase or a comment or, or an, an eye roll. And, and I'm not even cognizant of that. Um, where I'm not validating, and, and you know, you talk about validating numbers and, and lives lost to suicide. Um, one of the things that I recognize in the eternal size up is once we start validating our own feelings, which I, I believe is very hard to do for most of us, because then that means that we have a problem, that we may be broken, that we may have issues or concerns that we have to ask for help, that we're these strong men and women that do these things and I love that you're, you're, you know, as you say, you're evolving and you're continuing to research that the post-traumatic stress or the trauma injury is, is there's more of a, a, of a look or outlook now towards moral injury where we're bearing witness to these things. And it's incongruent with what our moral minds and spiritual minds say that we should have done or been able to do where there's loss of life. Um, I know you mentioned the fallen uh, Buffalo firefighter. Uh, gut-wrenching, um, gut-wrenching stuff, the, the videos uh, of the event, uh, um, which you know then now what happened uh, after the fact are, are, are mind-boggling. So we know our brothers and sisters uh, that have seen this across the country and the world, they're going to have feelings. Uh, when, when you do a training and, and feelings come up, like if, if you're in there and you're doing the internal scene size up, our, our internal size up workshop and there's a catalyst for a behavior and emotion and you you're witnessing that and, and you're a licensed counselor what are the first intervention steps that we need to be aware of or how can i help or what are you guys doing to get these people to a resource right now well it's it's amazing that you uh, said that because at one of our recent workshops and i won't mention uh, who uh, you know i <laughs> When I look at my life, I am not a mechanical person. You know, I I played sports all my life. My dad wanted me to work on VWs and do things, and but he also knew sports. So my wife handles everything around the house. 
But my, my gift from the good Lord is the ability to read people. And uh, I was in a workshop and I, I could just tell this firefighter was struggling as we were going through the material. And so uh, we called for a break and uh, I happened to have a, uh, a counselor in that workshop that I knew. And I asked them, I said, Let's, we need to talk because this firefighter is, is struggling. And sure enough, uh, we did. We, we talked to him. And later that afternoon, he was going into an inpatient treatment center. And so we can see it. You, you can see when people are deflecting, when they're looking down or they have that gaze in their eyes that they're recalling some type of situation that's going on in their life, whether it's personal or professional. And, and we've always taught uh, our, our first four workshops ever uh, were for the Philadelphia Fire Department. And I had two themes back then. That was be direct and challenge with compassion. When you see something in your brothers or sisters, be direct and, and challenge with compassion. And, and like I said, and then we have to learn how to listen. Listen to others. We have to learn how to listen to ourselves when we're not sleeping, when we're starting to maybe fall prey to an addiction, we're isolating, we're becoming angry. Our bodies are telling us something and saying, you need some help. And we have to learn to listen to that. And, and it was a phrase I coined way back in 2010 called cultural brainwashing, where we put this uniform on, we're expected to act in a certain manner. And that's that brave, strong, courageous, give help, don't ask for help. I handle all things on my own. And, and who expects that? Well, it's our brothers and sisters we work with. It's the communities we serve. It's the traditions of the first responder world that this is how we are expected to act. And yet when you're challenged, Eric, in your personal professional life and you're expected to go it alone, now you see why so many of us struggle because it's, it's damn difficult to do. And we don't feel that support, feel like we can reach out or feel like that's outside of the fraternity uh, sorority, if you will, um, of, of what our brother and sisters are, are assigned or, or called to do. Um, and, and we're seeing we're seeing that, unfortunately, in some situations. I mean, the majority are very supportive. Uh, a brother or sister says, man, I need to go in and get help. But we've also seen it in our data that they stood up and said, I need some help. They go into an inpatient and everyone's standing around, slapping them on the back and congratulations, get the help. We're, we're proud of you. And then 45 days later, when they come back, everyone's, oh, wait, they're coming back to our shift. Uh, are, are they going to be able to handle the job? Do we have to worry about some things? And, and that breaks that. And it gives that person returning a lack of self-confidence confidence in their decision making. Will I do the right thing? Or will they trust me now? And, and so, like I said, we're still so early in this behavioral health component. Uh, for us, 13 years, and and there's been many people across the U.S. say that FBHA was pretty much the uh, the movement in the behavioral health, especially the suicide uh, prevention awareness. And so, like I said, we're, we're only 13 years into it. We, we have to give ourselves time, but you know, as first responders, we, we are trained to get everything done right then and there. Mm -hmm. and, and with behavioral health, when you're talking about a person's mind and their heart, you, you can't rush these things through. Yeah, and then you talk about the fire service being well over 300 years and, and EMS is 60 some. Uh, and, and so you're, you're not a sixth of one and you're not even one three hundredth of another um, as far as time frame. It's, it's befuddling to me, Jeff, and, and I appreciate your thoughtfulness. And when you talk about compassion, I feel compassion in this conversation. Um, I know that you have enough respect for yourself that you're willing to then 
talk to somebody else and they can see and feel what you're emitting. And, and empathy is huge. Yes. Um, you garner the ability to uh, reflect and, and propel uh, that empathy to me, and I'm feeling it. When is empathy too powerful and when can that be off-putting? When you're receiving something and you accept it, is it a catalyst for me to feel worse or is it sometimes a catalyst for the person sharing to have an event or, or make a decision for self-harm? You know, it, it's a great question because, yes, I have a lot of empathy. I put a lot of passion in when I when I speak about this subject matter. I've lost a lot of good people that I've come to know over these 13 years that unfortunately you know seeked help or they were asking me how to put together programs together and unfortunately they fell prey to the demons that were dancing in their heads and and i talk about it a lot um, you know my wife and i we've been married 42 years i have a lot of empathy for my brothers and sisters but i'm not an empath mm. she's an empath an empath absorbs all the other person's pain and the struggles where I have empathy and I will go the final road with our brother and sister to get them help. And, and that's where people, we have to realize this. And I, I've been speaking about this, especially for our peer support team members for years before peer support team members really exploded is that we need to take care of them. We, those peer support team members, they, you know, they have to go once, twice a year to a counselor because not only are you going on calls and you have issues in your life, now you're absorbing it from your brothers and sisters. And I, and I started seeing this a few years ago in our data. I started seeing more and more of our losses of our brothers and sisters who are on peer support teams. And so we really need to understand that, that empathy. And if it starts really reflecting in our actions, that it's time for us to ask for help. So you have to actually uh, walk the walk. You know, if you're telling people to take care of yourself and, and, and listen, well, then you have to listen to what your body's telling you and what people around you are telling you about your actions and your, and your behaviors. That's one of the things, too. So hearing that, when Jem's uh, Clearing Events, Jeff Frankel approached me and wanted to talk about doing a podcast, um, he just said, you know, you're, you're generally very positive. The things that we see you talking about are positive. And, and I said, well, I'm honored and I'm flattered. Let me think about that. Um, because I know again, the darkness, the dark places. And the reason I try to be positive and what we do in our trainings, uh, with engagement and connection and listening and feedback loops and, and all those types of things is we're working on our mirror neurons, that, that group, that peer, uh, togetherness where we're trying to overwhelm the positive traits uh, as opposed to those negative traits. Uh, because as first responders and as humans, uh, we're, we're looking for the danger. We're looking for uh, how to react and respond. And, and we're not resting in, in many right. cases. Very hypervigilant. So that hypervigilant state, yes, thank you. Yes. Speak to that because as a counselor, as a uh, retired captain, as one that's working with the men and women now in Las Vegas, hypervigilant state, uh, the alarming uh, issues that go along with that. Well, you know, you know as well as I do. You know, I started in 1990 as a volunteer and then one career. And, you know, I was a medic for many, many years. The call volume, the calls are different. 
there and I, and I hear that time and time again across the country. They they are just there's a lot more anger. There's a lot more mass casualty incidents. There's there's just uh, you know unfortunately all across America there's a lot of homeless people uh, that are struggling and, and these these. These type of calls are, are really taking a toll on our brothers and sisters to the point where when we hear about a mass casualty, a shooting at a store or a, uh, at a parade and things, we've almost learned to accept it. Say, wow, man, it's tragic, but it, it happened again. And yet for those departments to go through those things, they're, they're life changing. Um, you know, and so we're starting to see that hypervigilant. Every time you go to a parade, we're thinking, hey, what happens if a truck comes, you know, barreling down the sidewalk and starts running over? What happens if we're in a church and someone starts shooting or at a school and things? And so we're always at hypervigilant uh, state. And, and that is that's exhausting. That is exhausting for people physically and mentally. And so that's where our world has really changed uh, the amount of calls, the type of calls that we really have to look at for our people as they start their careers. How can we really protect them? Because when they start, we shouldn't be damaging them when when they start and you know our, our whole goal is is we want you to have a great career, but we want you to have a better retirement. And that's important. So how do we take care as organizations? How do we take care of our people? And, and like I said, it, it starts in the fire academies. It starts by working with the families, uh, resources, counselors, chaplains, and, uh, you know, guide, guidelines and policies that need to be developed. Um, you know, we, um, we started, our FBHA started working on the mass casualty uh, peer support because we're seeing these things and people you know across the country when i talked to them about it said man it's it's one of the first of its kind we've never seen anything like this and it'll be a part of the operations and so it's and then of course retirement you know we track retirees so when we look at our data we track career volunteer wildland as well as military, I speak in a lot of Air Force bases, uh, EMS, as well as dispatchers. And yet we still only estimate about a 65% reporting because, as you know, Eric, 70% of firefighters in America are are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And how many are EMS volunteers and the, the smaller ambulance services? And, and what about the wildland firefighters? I mean, there's you have the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you have, you know, the uh, national parks, the wildland game and wildlife. I mean, there's just so many different branches that we have to make sure that we take care of. So it's, it's a great undertask, uh, undertasking to be uh, taken by organizations on how to protect their people and their families. Because um, as you know, when we look at our data, uh, unknown is the number one known reason you know, they, when I talk to the chiefs, they, they just don't know. But the number one known reason is relationship issues, whether personal or professional. And so by far, it's number one, and then followed by depression. And yet, when we look at so many conferences and so many articles and people standing up and speaking about post-traumatic stress, and, and by golly, they should, and, and kudos to them. We can't forget about the other issues, the health, the medical, the financial, the legal issues, the relationship issues, the depression. And until we can incorporate all of this within our behavioral health programs for our departments, we haven't really moved ahead as much as we should have. 
I hearing that it, it again uh, alarms and bells are going off as if we're getting toned to a you know a, a multiple box alarm uh, because we know that the, there's a danger but we're not sure what that danger is so we're you know going back to the hypervigilant state the alarm bells are going off but we we're afraid to be direct and 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 use that compassion when we direct directly challenge so um you know i i sir we're just going to go along and, and and to get along as opposed to be that catalyst for change and and like you said kudos to all of the the events and the speaking engagements that are talking about this topic but it is so insular it is so uh uh, within the uh, the silo that we we need to see and let everybody know that um, all of these things are comprehensively what's causing the alarming rates and suicidality, self harm, depression, anxiety, and the, which then led itself to consequences uh, that that we're suffering. And and not enough of our brothers and sisters, I think, are hearing that on a regular basis to know that one. It, it's comforting in, in a sense to know that somebody else has or is going through what what we're going through. Right. Uh, and then kind of, I always say, and I've heard uh, some amazing counselors and retired fire and law enforcement people that have come on the podcast that said, you know, we're jumping back in because we know the way out. We're jumping into the darkness beside you because it may not be the exact path you're going to take, but I know that there's a way out. And I'm right. willing to stand behind you, push you, or pull you to to your level of uh, willingness to to be a part of the process. And and that's what it takes. I mean, this is everyone needs to be involved. And you know, I, when we go to departments and we talk, we we recommend say bring back your retirees. You know, when we, when we look at our data of about 304 retirees that have taken their lives, 37 of them took their lives within the first week of retirement. Dude. And so that, that, that's a problem. You know, it should be our, and the average age was like 54.8. And so, you know, most of us retire in our mid fifties. We got 25, 30 years left to live, you know, so bring back your retirees, gain that experience. And unfortunately, the fire service, uh, at times we tend to feed on our own, you know, and you start seeing a retiree come back to the station and people are after a few months are saying, man, what, what is this, what is this person doing back already? Don't they have anything better to do with their lives? And, you know, so you see that frustration, but we should take that that's experience right there, take that experience and build on it. And so it, there's just so much when it comes to the, this understanding, this behavioral health, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's so new to us, Eric. Um, we did a workshop, and again, I won't say the uh, the department or agency. Um, and when you talked about that twelve point training from you know basically recruit school uh, all the way through into retirement, to and through retirement, um, one of our workshops, uh, a gentleman came up to me, and he was weeping. And 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 the intent of our engagement session was to show one another that we are together. And, and it really, the impact was felt. Uh, and, and, you know, we share and we engage, we're mindful and we share and tell stories. And, and through the sharing and telling of stories with our improv games and exercises, he comes up to me on break and he is, like I said, weeping. He goes, Eric, I don't know what to do when I retire. My identity, my self-actualization is and has been this. 
you know, I've lived through the lives of people and seen and bore, bear, you know, bared witness to X, Y, and Z. And that's the moral injury piece, the bearing witness, right? And, and um, everything that I've dealt with, and now I'm going to be leaving this routine. I'm going to be leaving this structure. I'm going to be leaving the fraternity, the sorority, the fellowship. Um, right. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And, and you could tell that hearing your numbers then, within a week of retirement, why this uh, is, is such an important thing. Because this guy was six, eight months away from you know being able to turn his papers in and sign the scroll, um, but that cognitive disconnect he was, it, you know, it created a really immediate response with him in in that workshop that we were doing. Yeah, and and the thing is that when we started um, interviewing uh, retirees because we knew the issue was uh, so important, is is that um, we found out really quickly the the top three issues were. Uh, loss of identity, uh, loss of belonging, and lack of purpose. So th those are three major issues that we need to deal with. How are some of the th uh, ways that you you deal with that? Or, or you're, you're speaking, and I'm going to put this all over social media. You're going to put it all over social media. I'm going to share it with volunteer agencies in the state of Oklahoma and, and outside the state, um, which is where I currently reside. Jeff, you're, you're speaking to these people. Say they're at your workshop. Um, saving those who save others um, or the internal an internal size up ptsd versus moral injury dispatcher workshops voices of comfort saying goodbye and emotional detachment if they're at one of your workshops in the next three four five minutes speak to that person uh that's attending as if they need to hear what you're ready to say and you just mentioned three specific things yeah, retirement is that organizations, uh, and it doesn't always have to be the chief, everyone's involved in this, is that we need to start planning a year out. You know, what does retirement look like? So maybe we talk to uh, retirees. What were the positives? What were the negatives that we can take away? What, you know, what about uh, if we're have a if we're married or if we're with a spouse and partner we recommend that you go to marriage counseling because that day you're home for the first time and you know what your spouse or partners had a lifestyle that is different than 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 most people and you can't expect them to drop everything just to you know be there for you and so you know what about if you have hobbies? Do you want to make it into a business? Go back to school now while you're still working and, you know, pick out. They have counselors. Uh, if you remember in high school, they used to have guidance counselors mm -hmm. to help guide you. Well, they have that, you know, if you want to look for a job, these are the steps. You want to go back to school. I, I tell many, um, you want to become a chaplain. You know, chaplains are well needed especially in the volunteer area so when we start working on those retirement aspects we have to really start working and focusing on the identity and i tell them take a look in the mirror and look into your eyes and you'll be amazed how quick your career went by and take the good and the bad and that maslow's pyramid and pass it on to others. It doesn't have to be in the fire service because I believe we have great experiences. We have we have journeyed down a path that very few have in the world. And take those experiences, learn from it, learn who you are, and pass it on to others. Because like I said, I, I believe we are very 
talented people. And, and so we start building on that focus when it comes to retirement, um, you know, like organizations, why can't we have some of our retirees come back and be mentors in our academies? You know, I, I was awful at ropes and tying knots and things. It'd be nice if I had a retiree, I could go over and visit and say, Hey, can we work a couple hours on ropes? And because you were excellent, you used to be on the TRT team or something. Mm -hmm. so, so use that experience and maybe they want to volunteer at your department. Maybe they want to become a peer support team member, you know, a, a CERT member, you know, a community emergency response team member. Start working and focusing to, to help them in that aspect. I, I love that. Um, I wanted to, while I have them up, I wanted to just talk about kind of what a few of these things do. Saving those who save others is an in-depth firefighter EMT dispatcher suicide prevention awareness course designed to educate attendees on warning signs and symptoms, the communications, emotional, and physical behaviors of others. Um, mm -hmm. That's one. The uh, An eternal size up. An in-depth firefighter EMT behavioral health workshop dedicated to educating attendees on the awareness of stress, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, addiction, depression, anger, and address suicide and retirement. And I love that. Um, you know, you were talking about retirement, and, and this one just resonates in my spirit. Um, my wife's going to retire soon. I, I will work till the day I'm no longer physically alive. Right. Um, this course is designed to prepare fire and EMS personnel about the emotional aspects of retirement. This includes loss of identity, loss of belonging, lack of purpose. And then one that just, you know, you talked about starting counseling before you retire. Um, you know, COVID was a big thing. You know, when my wife was at home every day of the week for a long time because, you know, she had the ability to work from home. Uh, you know, the corporate office shut down, et cetera. But, you know, you talk about both of us being in the same house when I'm working shifts and then she's here when she's not supposed to be here, quote unquote. And uh, yeah, talk about getting on nerves. Um, and, and, you know, you love the human being, but it's just like, ugh, I, I have, I'm not accustomed to being around you. This is one, a course designed to assist fire department and EMS spouses, dispatchers as well, um, and partners to understand the life that they live and why their spouse partner acts the way they do. The course addresses signs, symptoms, behaviors, cultural brainwashing, addiction, post-traumatic stress, and suicide among the ranks. Um those are just go ahead, that's, Jeff. That's one. That's one of my favorite ones. Is the uh, saving those who save others, the family edition. You know, it's uh, it's amazing how we act, and and like I said, it all falls back to that cultural brainwashing. So, so saving those who save others was our, our first original workshop, and it's now more of a, a PTSD suicide awareness uh, workshop where internal size up, as you read off, is more of that generic. We talk about the stress and anxieties, the depression, the relationship issues, and, uh, and of course, suicide awareness prevention. Uh, and then our new one, uh, PTSD versus moral injury. What is that difference? And, and what's it look like? Because we found really quickly through our white paper is that uh, many people don't know what that looks like, what that is. And they're, they're thinking it's, it's PTSD, when in fact, it might be moral injury. Um, so you and I know very well what we're talking about when we hear moral injury. And then me having several conversations over the last couple of weeks uh, or last month or so with uh, Dr. Brock and James Wong uh, mm -hmm. from from the BLA or, or Shea, uh Center for Moral Injury. Uh, she really illuminated me, you know, because I got more confused as I was researching it uh, until I started really talking with her. And, uh, you know, her beautiful soul and spirit is, is I I'm looking at you. Um, 
those of you that know that I'm looking at him, we're, we're, we're via Zoom, uh, but you won't see either one of us. You know, I look rather disheveled. Jeff, you look handsome here at work. <laughs> but um, the, the beauty of your of your soul and spirit, as, as Dr. Brox was, um, it, it's you take and, and make people at ease. And so the understanding. So what I would like for you in, in your understanding of moral injury, because you know, your firefighters and your EMTs, uh, EMS professionals and dispatchers, I think that they've been bombarded and, and most of them, most of us know that post-traumatic stress or PTSD or PTSI or whatever we're calling it. Moral injury to you and how you guys are trying to uh, create an environment where you're, you know, bringing that to attention of people in the department. Yeah, you know, when I went back, it's funny you mentioned that because when I went back from my master's degree, one of my first papers... I, I completed, uh, my professor looked at me and he said, and this is, I'll, I'll never forget, he says, you'll never be able to write a white paper <laughs> said, because you write and you speak from the heart. And, and I know that uh, through all my years of workshops. So I have a great friend, uh, Liz Fletcher, Dr. Liz Fletcher, uh, out of University of Houston. And she, uh, she did all the wonderful writing uh, on the white paper. We just, I, we just fed her the information. And then, you know, we, we did a national survey and I wouldn't know what the results looked like. So we got Chaplain Mark and I, I forgive me, his name is way too difficult. To, so I just call him Chappie. Uh, and so he runs the moral injury unit at Rush Memorial in Chicago. Wow. So this was our team of putting this white paper together. But in its basic um, description is, is that moral injury is the belief that uh, as human beings, uh, we're born inherent to do good things. We want to help people. You get into the EMS fire dispatch world, and uh, you know you're trained to save lives. But unfortunately, through the years, you know as well as I do, our percentages are very low in saving lives, and so we start feeling that helplessness. Or um, one big aspect of moral injury, and why I decided to do a white paper is betrayal. Betrayal, either by management, uh, others, or or ourselves, and you know situations. Maybe it's because we had an affair on our loved one, or we saw an, a brother or sister being harassed, and we never said anything about it to to stand up for them. So we feel a betrayal by ourselves or management because unfortunately there's been so much overtime, or our equipment's not as good, or whatever it is. So we feel betrayed by management, and so where. PTSD is, is more trauma-based, uh, fear-based. Moral injury is more emotional. Uh, our emotions of guilt, uh, failure to do good, uh, helplessness. And so when I spoke to Dr. Litz out of Boston University, uh, he created the Moral Injury Outcome Scale, and that was what we used for our survey for you know the 10 departments across America. Uh, it was, it was an eye-opener uh, for us because people, they don't want to have a disorder, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and maybe I started thinking, maybe that's why so many people say, yeah, we're okay after a call. Maybe it's other things that they're, they're dealing with in that aspect. And, you know, the doctor, you know, Dr. Shea, who's coined, uh, credited with uh, saying moral injury, and the worked with the military and I spoke with the 
military and found out very quickly that when I asked them, when you looked at your data, where was the highest correlation of suicides to? And they said it was absolutely moral injury more than PTSD. And so I started thinking about this. Well, maybe it's bigger in our world as well than PTSD, because what's the number one known reason for our brothers and sisters killing themselves? Relationship issues. And that hits right there in the in the emotional aspect. And so I, I that's why I feel that uh, we really need to be aware of this because it moral injury is not in the diagnostic and statistical manuals that counselors use to diagnose and treat uh, PTSD is. And so it's uh, it, it's a new uh, and I'm still I'm still learning as we go along. Uh, but it, it's a new term for us in the first responder world. And yes, there's been some wonderful people talking about moral injury in the first responder world. So that's why we decided, hey, let's take it one step further and let, let's do a white paper on it. I love that. Um, Jeff, as we start to wrap things up, and, and I would love to have you on uh, um, again, is, is there stuff that you want to share and disseminate through the communities of Fire EMS uh, Dispatcher? Um, what you're doing and and the team that you've put together uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to you and Karen, because it takes that partnership um, uh, of struggles and love and compassion and engagement and, and you know, overwhelming loss. Every time you, you know, you do a validation, you know, right. a part of your soul is just, you know, hurting, hurting. Um, so to you and Karen, I just want to say thank you uh, for, for your tireless work. Uh, yeah. Without without her, FBHA does not run. I can I can guarantee you that. And that partnership, and that's why I, I honor that. You know, as I'm looking at you, um, and and just truly give to you that that generous uh, appreciation uh, for for the departments, for the chief officers, for the for the training officers, for the battalion chiefs, or whomever are in charge of training. If you go to the um, the web page, what is the web page, Jeff? Sure. It's, uh, of course, www.ff, like firefighter, uh, B is in Bravo, ha.org. So ffbha.org. I'm not here to tell you how to spend your money, but looking at these courses, the prices, ladies and gentlemen, they are well, well, well within what I know you can spend. And you should be spending the money to invest in your, in your people. And, and they're going to continue to address the concerns that they're not just you know, they did it 10 years ago, and, and that's the same class you're getting tomorrow. Um, uh, you have clinicians, you have passionate people that have lived this life that are willing to come. Uh, I don't know how many of these opportunities you do via Zoom. It's difficult to see that engagement, uh, but yet if right. the message is getting out there, Jeff, uh, mm -hmm. but the, the value for which you can't compare the price, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I know what I ask for to do engagements, when we do eight hour workshops and four hour workshops and uh, what, what Jeff and his team are putting out there, the, the money uh, to the value is exceptional. Uh, the, the expenditure is, dude, I don't know how you, are you, you're able to do it at that cost point, to be quite honest. Um, well, you, you know, it's never been about the money for us. Correct. Unfortunately, we do have to charge because we have an annual weekend retreat for family survivors, and that, that runs us a lot of money. We don't get a lot of sponsorship. Uh, it, it, it truly is amazing, uh, you know, that, and, and I, I see that because 
And I've, I've been told by manufacturers that it, it's, we love your message, but it's suicide. And that's a negative connotation. So, but you know what? The, the good Lord always provides, always provides us. We've been around 13 years now and uh, we're going strong still. So, uh, you know, it, it is about, and, and I try to remind people that when they see our data and it's everywhere, you know, it's just everywhere. Uh, you, know, you know, the United States Fire Administration, the NFPA, the NVFC, media, uh, people writing articles, that these aren't numbers. These are the faces and names of our brothers and sisters and the families they left behind. Please never forget that. There's very little I can say after that. It's the it's the faces and the names of the humans, the brothers and sisters that uh, that are no longer physically present, but are going to have an indelible mark in, in our lives and our spirits. Um, as you continue to do great work in your organization, um, if at any time we can further partner, whether it's a collaboration or coming back on the podcast or a or a training, uh, you know, where we bring humor and celebrate failure uh, to your organization to help break down some of the darkness that we suffer. I, I wanna offer that to you all. Um, I have space for you, which is a, a phenomenal comment that one of my friends that works in law enforcement said, you know, and, and now I, I look at people and I say, do you have space for me or this subject? And, and, it, and it allows that person to acknowledge and you're acknowledging them in that moment to say, can we do this? And then, uh, you know, as opposed to just dumping on them, and them not having the emotional, spiritual, physical capacity to have dealt with that. Um, one thing that you said, and, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, breaking the cycle of cultural brainwashing, um, we have the space for you. Uh, something like that for a title for this uh, podcast, Jeff. And I want to give you, as you talked about the faces and the names of those people that you bear witness to, um, when you do the validations, um, breaks my heart. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's very difficult, uh, you know, to hear 1,790 plus stories and the, the pain that they go through, the, the, you know, the, the, way, the methods that they take their lives are, are just, they're, they're just God awful. And it, it just makes me wonder how much pain were they in? Yeah, and before they they ended their ended their lives, and you know we, we talk about so many people say we need to change the culture. You know, I, I loved being a firefighter. I love that culture. Our mantra at FBHA is is we don't want to change it; we want to enhance it. And you do that through education. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we have been with Jeff Dill founder, CEO, instructor, passionate leader, uh, licensed counselor of the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Trainings, workshops, engagements, validations for suicide. Um, you can notify them on their website of suicides. You can do a, uh, a, a self-assessment on their website. I took it the other day and I'm like, damn, Jeff, I'm depressed. I'm not suicide, mm. you know, but, uh, um, and I and I have a beautiful life, right? Uh, you know, beautiful grandchildren and, and an amazing wife that uh, I don't treat as well as I should. Um, all of these different things, and and yet, whoa! All right, you know, I'm getting close to that marker of you know needing help. Right. I, I seek counseling, uh, which is one thing. And and when I tell people that I work with or on, on the podcast, you can get in touch with me. You can get in touch with Jeff uh, at the at the 
website. Is there an email or is it just the website where they, where, you know, you can go up there on that hyperlink and say, contact us. What's the yeah, best way? Uh, Jay, Jay Dill at FFBHA.org. And also uh, under the resources there, uh, National Volunteer Fire Council and FBHA teamed up three years ago to create a national directory of counselors that work with first responders. And so folks can find lists in their, in their states. And, and it doesn't have to be in their area because of telehealth. So if it's in their state, they could talk to someone. If I'm in Rochester, New York, where I was born and raised, uh, they can talk to someone in Albany. Uh, so, you know, that's why it's important to find these culturally competent counselors and chaplains, uh, because if someone's finally going to say, hey, I need some help, then we, we need to have people there. And if they can't find anyone, then give me a call. That's that's what we do. And it is what you do. And and on social media, if I, if I see like, and I'm just going to put Chris's name out there, Chris Smetma um, had been looking for help for a buddy down in Arizona. And I tagged you in that. And then I know that you know people that, you know, we don't have access to or know. And, and uh, that's the one thing too, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you reach out to emsimprov at gmail.com um, and I don't know the resource and Jeff doesn't know the resource, we know people that know the resources that, that are Absolutely. closest to you. The Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance uh, has access to clinicians across the country uh, on, on their website if you, if you go there. Um, we have the space for you. This has been and is the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where you're mindful. We share and tell our stories. We have been with an amazing human being, Jeff Dill. And I just want to thank you all out there that are listening. We care about you deeply. Um, as you need help, we're here for you. You are not alone.